Hello everybody. Staff Performance Consulting presents Corporate Banters with DK. Today we have a very special guest, Manish Pajodia. Manish is a chartered accountant by qualification and a person who has gained very unique and varied experience in Indian market based on his very successful stand in Unilever and Amazon. His team vouch for his leadership and mentoring skills and his peers and industry seniors sings praise for his stupendous performance. Among many of his achievements, the most recent ones were launching new businesses like Jungli.com, Amazon Fashion, Advertising, and Amazon Pay in India as his CFO. I've always looked up to him for advice and coaching, and I'm sure I'll continue to do so. With that said, it is my true privilege and honor to kickstart this podcast series with Manish being his first guest. Manish, a very warm welcome to you, and thank you so much for your time. Hey, thanks a lot, Deepak, for having me on, on your podcast. It really feels privileged for me probably inaugurating your podcast. And I hope it works as a good omen for you. And morning and good evening and good afternoon to everybody who is listening at whichever part of the world. Thanks for having me and taking out time to listen to us. You will, Manish. I mean, it is truly an honor to have you. Thank you so much. So let's get started without further ado. And I'll start with my first question on this. So for the sake of our audience, just tell us a bit about your journey after you qualified as a chartered accountant and joined the, if I can say so, rat race. <laughs> I, I won't call it a rat race. I, I still feel it was one of the best thing I did. And if given a chance, I'll do that again. So, Great. <laughs> uh, so yes, uh, the journey probably is, I don't think there's a lot of things which I can add up and say that that this had some filmy story or anything like that. It was fairly simple, like any normal person. Uh, I don't think I had a lot of clue when I was doing my standard 11, 12, that what will I do in my career? Uh, since everybody was doing chartered accountancy, I also did uh, enroll myself for chartered accountancy and by God's grace and probably because of good friends like you guys, I was able to clear my CA. One thing which I would probably remind is when I was doing my chartered accountancy, there was something which uh, all of us probably wanted to get rank and I also wanted to get rank and I was preparing for that. And uh, it so happened that instead of getting a rank, I actually flunked in my CA finals. And this was probably the first time I've ever flunked in my life. And I actually thought like life is ended and probably this is it. I can't do much about it. And, and uh, somehow I thought I'll stop studying, go back to my dad's business, which is a small town uh, and I'll probably do that. But somewhere it was my dad who actually pursued me and said like, okay, even if you want to leave your studies, why don't you attempt it next time? Mm -hmm. So with all the reluctance, I went and did my exams mm -hmm. and somehow I got very good marks. So, uh, and I got marks, which were probably equivalent to a rank or something like that. Yeah. And that that's yeah. something which at that point of time, honestly, it looked like life is really bad and unfair mm. that I was studying for a rank I flung. But when mm. I look at a retrospective 17 years down the line, I actually feel it was probably a good thing. Mm -hmm. It gave me a lesson of like, nothing is permanent and you need not worry. So that's one thing I thought, while you wanted me to start your journey post CA, but I thought I'll talk about this. No, fantastic. I think this is a very good input for the audience as well that failures are really the stepping stone for any success right uh, and, and it's quite critical to go through failures and it was good that you kind of went through that pain early in your life 
and perhaps that has given you a lot of new perspective which many people who cleared in first and perhaps never had that post ca i got uh, uh, placed in tata sons mm -hmm. and i started working with tata steel it was closer to my home so i i joined there it was a great stint i really loved that place and it was two years down the line that some i don't know how somehow i got a call from unilever india hul and they were looking to hire a lateral replacement and for me it was one of those things like redemption in life because they generally would call only rank holders at yeah. the interview stage yeah. and since i had that grudge of failure and not getting that rank i thought wow i have got a call i should try it out yeah. so probably that failure also held me get there because i yeah. was very clear that i i need this rank so yeah. i joined hul and typical of hul fashion where you keep doing various stints so so i started with treasury did mm -hmm. global treasury for hul where i was trying to consolidate a treasury business for around 35 countries where unilever operated and was trying to establish a global treasury center in mumbai so it was a great experience also learned how to manage people i remember an incident where instead of selling some 150 million yen i actually ended up selling 1.5 billion yen oh, and, and and like early morning the trader called me and said you know what uh, your bank have gone overdraft and i said no 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 way the bank will be overdraft we have sorted it out and then when mm -hmm. i came came to office and those were the times where mobile was not that connected yeah, and yeah. I, i was like Whoa, what have i done and i again thought like life is gone but again i saw a huge a uh, leadership lesson is what i learned that day was yeah. actually my boss didn't said anything to me he said okay mm -hmm. this is the situation let's solve for it so yeah. let's do a reverse trade let's solve for overdraft let's speak to people and he and i was always expecting that he is going to erupt and he is going to like yeah. throw me out of the job and he didn't said anything that day yeah. next day i came to office he didn't said anything for me that was like what is happening yeah. and i couldn't yeah. i couldn't tolerate it i went to my boss and said like do you want to speak and there yeah. is nothing to speak it happened it happened you didn't did it by deliberately and i was like it was a bad thing it costed the company he said yes then that's a problem with mechanism it's it's actually a mechanism problem that we didn't had a mechanism to check this out it's not a personal problem and i i got a huge lesson that day yeah. uh, that yes, that's how that's how you look at it yeah. so and it was great so i worked for a couple of years with treasury then i moved to chennai and mm -hmm. i was heading the commercial function for chennai region or south region for hul it was the stint where actually i understood what hul is and what are the core strength how distributors work what yeah. are their roi expectation how do you manage them and and you you have your head office which wants things to be done and you have these distributors who are independent businessmen who are here to make money so yeah. you kind of have to need to balance both of them and and one fine day somebody called me and that said like we had sent some auditors to a distributor in bangalore and the auditors partner called me and said you know what my auditors have been locked up uh, distributor <laughs> locked, locked them out and like i i, I called the distributor said like they were not listening and something happened i have locked it i don't know <laughs> between me and my rsm we had to rush to bangalore and you know kind of manage them out and like we said like whatever needs to be done let let, let the auditors go out of this place <laughs> so it was scary but yes when i look back now it it does sound funny that was the first time i also looked into digital transformation like one of the uh -huh. things where we were trying to do was collect money so hul used to sell to distributors and collect money and we were in the old phase where we were collecting we had prepaid checks and we would deposit checks mm -hmm. and checks yeah. and that, that that was this was 2008 and 9 this was the first time we took away all the checks and we moved to digital uh, mandates so this was ours was the first branch which actually did that and i really saw huge benefit which came in because we could remove manual work we could remove uh, manual errors we could remove a lot of 
things which were not very productive just because of this digital transformation sure. so those were some of those things which very early i realized that they have like compounding benefit it might not look yeah. like those are benefit which are coming in but once you do that it it really solves a lot of issues so yeah. i did couple of years with that and then i came back to mumbai and i started a role what we call used to call natural as category commercial this is basically a pnl role and i used to do the role for hair as a business shampoos uh, it was like a independent pnl role where you and your business head are responsible for the top line and bottom line of the business this was the role which probably was the first pnl stint for me i actually had to kind of manage top line and bottom line and yeah. you had a lot of stakeholders you had supply chain guys you had procurement guys you had rnd yeah. guys you had advertisement guys you like everybody has their own kpis but then yeah. you need to manage all of it understand yeah. the driver and then drive that business so that was one stint which i really really cherish in my career and mm. we god's grace things worked out for me mm. we we actually turned around that business so that was something which was really is close to my heart and then i moved to exports this was 2013 unilever had an export business mm-hmm. and this was the first role where i was actually elevated where i was reporting to the cfo so that was a big thing for me and um, it was a good role where you had to deal with so many countries you have to deal yeah. with so many distributors and you have to manage 10 commercial units where you have to manage yeah. so unilever all and said was great Mm-hmm. but at at that point of time i actually started wondering what to do next in life mm-hmm. i've spent good amount of time how should i think about career and opportunities mm-hmm. unilever had a lot of opportunities but i started thinking about it and this was also 2014 when you know digital revolution was happening flipkart was making lot of news in india mm-hmm. they were raising billions of dollar every year the valuation was doubling up and obviously everybody was amazed in terms of what was happening yeah. and yeah. i too was struck there and um, at that point of time one of my seniors at levers was actually joining amazon mm. as the cfo of india and i was talking to him and he said like if you are interested let me know and i said but what's the role he said i don't know what is the role i am also not yet joined but if you think you are interested i can talk and you can join and we'll see we'll figure it out something yeah, yeah. and I, i i took the plunge by god's grace it was probably a good decision that i i i took at that point of time uh, amazon has been fascinating because amazon per se has had a fascinating journey in last eight years i started with a business called jungly.com uh, mm. it, uh, and then i moved to amazon fashion and last six years i have been working with uh, amazon payments and amazon advertisement these are two new businesses which amazon was trying to launch in india and mm. they were like poles apart but still correlated so they had to build them from scratch and it was a fascinating journey in terms of one convincing the amazon internal investors that this is payments is the right thing to do second like building from scratch how to build this business how to look at this business and playing all the hats of finance from building to controllership to accountability to partnering and yeah. um, so over last 6 years that has been the journey at amazon pay and advertisement yeah. of late i thought probably i've done another 8 years at amazon and probably i should think about what next and uh, that is when i thought of leaving amazon and decide doing something of my own uh, as of now i'm still figuring it out what to do no no fantastic you know as the saying goes fortune favors the brave and in in your entire journey one thing which i have realized is that you have been really brave to take certain career move and decisions and perhaps that's the reason it has paid off for you so fantastic I, I those career decisions have worked out and also probably luck has favored me so i i am somebody who believes in luck so probably that has also helped yeah touche <laughs> All right so let's move on to our next question what has been the most fascinating and challenging assignment in your career just tell us few learnings which you took away from such assignment sure 
Uh, I will probably talk about something which had a more recency effect and I'll talk about Amazon Pay. This was one business which Amazon India was very keen to do in India. So mm. so that that is probably one of the most fascinating journey. And the reason I would say it was fascinating was I had to actually think through why I'm doing this business. And I had mm. to convince the investor that why they should invest in this business. And yeah. then I had to actually work the details so that the 600 member or 700 member team are aligned to the right goals. So mm. the, the role was very different. It was not like doing a partnership or just controllership. It was yeah. everything and much more because we also had to manage investor and we also had to work it out as what would be investor interested in? How mm. do we think about it? How do we standardize what we want to show him? It mm. was a little different and difficult because it was internal Amazon investor. We couldn't talk about valuation and you know mm. some of those metrics which is generally prevalent in market. We had to show mm. them real cash flow metrics. Mm -hmm. And so and, and then there were a lot of things which we were talking about. So the challenge was how do we standardize everything, mm -hmm. build into one page summary, which kind of become a muscle memory for investors to understand. Because right. in a new business, what happens is everybody's so excited to talk about new things they are doing, they keep throwing to the investor new new stuff and that becomes very tough for investor to understand so yeah. to me that was one big journey in terms of how do you simplify the narrative and how do mm. you bring one simple narrative which, which and you stick to that so that investors start understanding and the external stakeholders start understanding yeah and then how do you convert that one page narrative or a simple narrative into an actionable for your team because while that might be high level you need to convert into a very micro ground level things which teams can work on and you need to make sure that is aligned. So to me, yeah. that has been a big, big journey for me in terms of how do you kind of get that. And yeah. I think the Amazon principle of focusing on input and, and looking at output is something which I really embraced. So we mm -hmm. wanted, we knew what we want to do and we started discovering new inputs and started measuring them and that has probably yeah. helped. So to me, that has been a big journey. I won't say it has been complete, but yes, that to me was one of the big thing which I thought we did a fairly decent job. We got funding and we, we invested in the business and the business has reached some place. Yeah. No, I think it's incredible because your story gives me two takeaways, right? As a finance people, traditionally, we always talk numbers. And in fact, I wrote an article on that. What you are suggesting is that it's not important to talk numbers. It's important to make the numbers talk. And that can only happen when you have crafted the right story behind it. And the finance function has evolved much more than controllership and business partnering. It is more around how do you add value to the business by basically getting yourself immersed into the right uh, business strategy and making the business successful. So CFO role is as good as running the business today as compared to basically a back-end person providing data and insights. Moving on, you have been in this FMCG e-commerce industry for 15 years now, right? And I think you kind of uh, touched upon a few of the areas, but if you can just summarize in like two or three things which you have seen has evolved in this sector over a period of time. Sure. So I think what at least I have seen is, and I'll, I'll probably put a nuance. I think it has not changed a lot, but it is still evolved. I'll try and explain what I mean by that. In my mind, the customer expectations have evolved a lot. Uh, so customers are always dissatisfied and customers would always need more. And the more you serve them, the more their expectation increase. And to me, that is what I have seen change a lot in last 15 years uh, from very early days where probably companies would do lip service on customer service and talk about that we will do it, but they don't care. They will sell the product to the distributor and distributor will push the product to the secondary outlet and then they would expect it will get sold off. 
to a place today where companies are paranoid about ratings and reviews and keep looking at what they're looking and you know making sure the feedbacks are working out and making sure those are sorted so to me i've seen that journey while it was always there people knew it but the more the customers have been served and more customers have become aware their needs have evolved and companies which have done well in adopting that need and adopting themselves to feedbacks review rating and you know the more customers have got access and the more people are companies are able to know them the companies have evolved themselves and that is something which i have seen changes you can no longer assume that i build a good product and people will buy you need to keep understanding customer and and keep getting feedbacks yeah, sure. And I'm assuming that uh, given that now huge amount of data is available and with the uh, advent of digitization and big data, many large companies at least would be making use of those. And based on the analytics, they would be moving in that direction. So that would have definitely evolved in my mind over a period of last 10 to 15 years. What's your view on that? No, it has evolved. But at the same time, as as they say, data is something you can make it work the way you want it to work. Exactly, and yes. it's important that you you can feel good that, you know, I have data and I have done some analysis and it tells mm -hmm. me what I need to do. But you need to be connected to the ground. You need to smell the numbers because data is famous for giving you whatever you want it to, it to tell yeah. you, right? So it's very important that while you should use data analytics and understand, you should also have a sense on the ground and, yeah. and understand the number better. In my mind, finance, again, can play a big role where they can standardize how to look at it. Absolutely. Let's move on to our next question. In India, right now, I mean, I think there are startups which are springing up in every corner, right? And especially in the e-commerce space. I mean, there's so many startups doing different things in e-commerce. And I think the, the basic premise still remains the same, which is selling goods online. But I'm assuming there must be some differences. So what's your view? Why there are so many startups which are coming up? What kind of differentiation they are bringing on the table? What is it for them to basically kind of, you know, start a new venture, which are in similar lines to the other e-commerce companies? See, one thing I learned at Amazon, and I keep probably as a broken record, will keep telling you this. Customers are always dissatisfied. Mm. Customers would always look for the next best option. And it's not a bad thing. You and I as a customer would also do that, right? Mm. Uh, so you cannot rely on your laurels and say that, you know what, I did the great this product mm. and now, now customer will stick to me and there's loyalty. There's nothing called customer loyalty. Customers are loyal till the time you serve them best. Mm. Right? And customer look for basically three things and these three things will never change customer will look for best selection mm. best pricing best convenience mm. be it convenience of delivery be it convenience of experience of mm. ordering mm. these are three things which in my mind will never change and it mm. will never change either geographically or even after 20 years this thing will be relevant mm. you and i as a customer would always want all the best selection yeah. whether it's curated or the maximum selection you and i would want to buy at a cheapest price and we would you and i would want it to be at the best convenience possible right yeah. so if these three things are constant as long as companies are able to do a better job on any of these three things in my mind they will survive got it and it's a good thing for customer it's a good thing for economy because it will lead better customer experience it will lead market to expand and it gives an opportunity for everybody if i have a startup idea and i think i can deliver a better selection or a better pricing or a better convenience than say uh, a Flipkart or an Amazon. Today is the world where actually you get a privilege where you can actually try it out. 
And, and that brings me to my next point. Uh, with market being so overcrowded, do you really see a possibility of consolidation in the market where there will be a lot of MA activity going into next decade or so? It's difficult to comment on that side, but because it's not only about crowded market, there are a lot of other reasons why consolidation can happen. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be external factor like what we are seeing a little bit now, like a little funding winter which is happening. And mm -hmm. if the companies don't have not been able to solve for the basics, like a sustainable pricing, or a good reason why customer come to you, they will struggle to survive. They will survive till the time they have cash in the bank or till mm -hmm. the time their investors are ready to invest. And if that is not happening, then obviously consolidation will happen. Yeah. So in my mind, it's not about crowded, it's about sustainability. If they're not able to sustain it, consolidation will happen and people will try and bring synergies so that they can work it out. So some consolidation has to happen. It's a cycle. There will be a lot of companies which will yeah. come up and then some will find a way to crack that code. Some will not. And people who will not probably will get either extended or consolidated and work it out. Oh, fantastic. Fair point, Manish. So interesting, Manish. So far, I think you have kind of covered e-commerce and, and I think uh, it, it, it has been an incredible insight for all of us. So moving on from uh, e-commerce, I want to talk about digitization, which you touched upon um, a bit in your other areas, especially in 2008 and nine when you saw that digitization trend. But so I'll tell you an interesting story. I was in India after a couple of years uh, last December. So in, during COVID, I could not go to India. And what I saw was amazing. The amount of digitization which I saw in India uh, during COVID times was phenomenal. I was trying to pay cash to a taxi driver and he looked at me as if I've come from Mars. You know, what I mean? and, and that's how it was. I mean, we were paying five bucks, 10 bucks through whatever, Paytm, Google Pay. And, they were, and there was not one option. There were multiple options, right? Uh, so what, what do you think are the reasons behind such a huge, incredible progress in India, especially around digitization? Sure. I assume you're talking about the payments part of it. So while I've, we have seen digitalization across things, but yes, payment is one space where probably India is one of the most digitalized country um, today where everybody is accepting digital payments. And, and there has been a lot of effort which the government, I would say it has been a combined effort of government, the NPCI, RBI, and a lot of companies which have come in the space and which has worked it out. Um, and there have been a lot of good things which has happened. Uh, I guess everybody knows about how UPI has done. Mm -hmm. And again, I would say, think that the reason why it has picked up and why it has gone the way it has gone is probably somebody actually understood the pain point and has solved for the pain point. See, for a long number of years, people were trying to sell the merchant the POS machine. And yeah. people were trying to sell credit cards to customers and they were trying, assuming that once you have cards, once one should have the POS machine, they yeah. will start using it and that will start happening. Yeah. But one of the big thing in India is, and probably that's, that's a little different than probably how US and other countries is. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of mom and pop stores and typically these mom and pop stores don't enjoy a very high margin like a modern store gets like a Walmart would get in US or a Tesco would get in US, right? So these stores have like 7-8% margin and the reason why these stores run is because they they work on a lot of disguise employment, they work on their own things and you know, they, they themselves work and they kind of mm -hmm. manage within that margin. And one of the big issues they have is they cannot afford a 2% MDR or a cost of payment to the bank. And mm -hmm. that was one reason why boss machines, in spite of all the effort, were not crossing say 2 to 3 million or 4 million boss machine across, mm -hmm. across India. Mm -hmm. I think somebody understood the pain point and actually mm -hmm. made UPI a zero cost. 
once it became zero cost it becomes very easy for merchant to accept it because now now it was it was not costing them it was not taking away a part of their margin and it yeah. become easy for them to adopt so that's just one reason i'm just telling you that there have been lot of similar reasons why this has got adopted because it's not it's never one reason why things get adopted so much but i think it's it's multiple reasons but this to me is one reason why merchants picked it up why consumers picked it up was i guess the the ux of the whole instrument was very easy it's not that you have to you know carry something or you have to remember 30 things and or you have to wait for an otp to happen it's a static password which people can just scan and make a payment so it has yeah. worked it also worked with the internet democratization within yeah. india because the jio mm -hmm. came in and everybody got a smartphone internet yeah. internet prices in india is probably the cheapest in the world yeah. and yeah. and so that's what i would say deepak it has been a combination of factor government mm -hmm. has helped rbi has helped uh, somebody understood the pain point somebody solved the ux and somebody brought the internet cheap and at the same time there were a lot of companies like amazon google paytm phone pay who actually went ahead and invested in this business in yeah. without even understanding what the business model will be because the hope was okay. that if if millions and millions of customer adopt it somewhere they will be able to build a business around it and it's really amazing i completely agree with you yeah it looks like it's uh, this is a topic in itself and perhaps we need to do another podcast to discuss and delve into it completely agree. Right? Uh, so moving on from now companies and 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 sectors and everything let's talk about talent right i mean you have been uh, a leader for a long time now i mean companies like tata steel unilever uh, amazing they build leaders at the end of the day right and you manage really big teams right one of the thing which i I've, I've been hearing uh, recently that in india people are really finding hard to get resources and resources are making frequent changes now as a leader did you really face that do you are you seeing that trend and what in your opinion as an employer companies need to do something different to retain the talent if there is actually an exodus of talent out of the company sure uh, again my view might be a little contrarian i feel the only thing you need to do is being human if you can be human to your people and not treat them as resources but as humans probably it will solve a lot of problems no, Com com yeah. company companies tend to start treating them as resources and to me that is that is probably something which doesn't work so mm -hmm. as long as you treat them as human respect them give them opportunities it works there will be phases where people will move on as new technologies coming as new startups are coming mm -hmm. uh, the 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 really skilled talent is limited in india so you will see some kind of thing there was a big great resignation it's not only india across the world that's phenomena yeah. which is happening post pandemic where people have realized that they want to do something different in life i don't think anybody can change that those will be some general trend which will happen to me mm. the ways companies will have to manage is just keep doing the basics keep doing the right things there will be few people who will move out and it's good for people organization as well honestly we need to build a culture and i think that is something which i learned at levers that you need to build your organization your systems and process where it is not people dependent you love them you work with them but you also make them resilient so that as people move on there is a big 
second level team which is ready to pick up the challenge as long as you build that out and i think large companies do it well and yeah. and probably this is one area where startups need to think about it that they cannot yeah. just be founder dependent founder cannot do everything and they need to build that team out yeah. people will come in people will move on end of the day people are also consumers and we talked about yeah. consumers will always be dissatisfied so there yeah. will be always you cannot expect that they will be always loyal and it's wrong to expect right Mm. they're not married to us so i think it's it's okay Even for people to <laughs> so <laughs> so in my mind it's okay for people to think about their careers and think about what what is best for them as long as companies are doing two things treat them with respect give them opportunities uh, and be fair to them i think there's a fair chance that people will stick and people will do a decent work with them and as long as they keep building mechanism where they're not people dependent and keep building second level third level team it will work out fair point absolutely fair point uh, have you seen any change in the way you manage your talent in last two decades of your leadership career yes uh, definitely one thing which i have noticed and i i wish i could have done this 20 years back is i think the self awareness which the current young generation has is probably i didn't had 20 years back and probably people mm. my friends didn't had yeah. at that point of time maybe it's a it's a phase of life where we were coming from very middle class background and we wanted to secure our life and we yeah. were like probably ready to do anything and everything to ensure that we do a good job we get a right mm. rating we build our career we look for our next promotion and you know we cement our um, job and and secure our life and you know secure our lifestyle Yeah. So that was something which was big thing, and I don't think, at least at that point of time, for me and many of my friends, the thought of you know being a lot more self-aware and lot more, this is what I need, and it's not job is not everything, was not something which was there at that point of time. But today, when I look at youngsters, I, I feel a little jealous. They are yeah. so self-aware. They are so. understanding of it that this is not life so while job is good they want to do job but it's not the life and they they want to explore the world they want to take a break they want to do lot of thing they're not so paranoid about that they have to do a get a promotion in the job and they have to do well while yeah. they want to do well and they do their best but at the same time if they think doesn't work out it's okay maybe it's also life stage where they don't have to worry about their lifestyle their parents have kind of secured the lifestyle so for them they can afford it and maybe for us it was not i don't know what's the reason but that's something which i see a big change and it means you need to manage your people very differently yeah. my boss at uh, 20 years back could have told me anything and i would have probably stick to job and yeah. make sure that he does well but in today's world you have to give him more respect as an individual and work with them and uh, accept what he brings in and what he doesn't bring in and work around with that so to me that has changed a lot and it's a good thing i wish i i would have started my career at this stage of life but yeah. but so it is no you're absolutely right and and more than parents basically giving a secure life i think the millennials one big change is the amount of opportunities and the exposure to various things which they have i agree 20 years back we did not have same mobile phone same internet uh, i mean i i remember i created my first uh, gmail account after i joined my job i mean of course we could have created hotmail account during college days but how many people were really interacting on um, emails right we still remember uh, the telephone numbers of each and every individual because we, we didn't have mobile phone to save the numbers right yeah, i remember so, i bought my first mobile phone after i cleared my chartered accountancy yeah so, exactly right so so I, even i bought perhaps a year before that when i was doing my uh, internship or article you're always the rich guy <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> of course <laughs>
Now, what would be your advice to the new generation who are trying to enter the corporate world or basically trying to do something of their own? The way I would think is, and if I were to give advice to myself in the current generation, I would only say that try and understand the business better, irrespective of whatever role you get into. You need to get a full macro view of what is the business trying to do. I see a lot of people getting stuck to their role and their part of the thing and not getting a full picture. And I I feel that they are doing disservice to themselves when they don't do that because they don't get a full picture and they don't understand why is what is happening. And in my mind, it is always good to spend a little more time, get a macro picture, get a good understanding of it. And, and, and listen to people because and that will help them understand it better. And in my mind, that will help them do better. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. What has been the best career advice you have received in your life? I'll give you one advice, which, which I have been using it for a lot of people who come to me. This was a gentleman who was my senior at Levers. Then he moved on. And today he is a CFO of a very large organization in India. And I was actually deliberating when I was leaving HUL or when I was thinking of leaving HUL as uh, what should I do? It's a very Mm -hmm. tough decision at that point of time for me. Like, should I retain, stay at HUL? My current, my boss was actually promising Mm -hmm. me a promotion and everything. Mm -hmm. Or should I think about Amazon? Or should I think about one more, two more opportunities which I had uh, Mm -hmm. from various places? And I had to decide which role or what should I pick? And I I had made a mess of myself. Uh, I didn't know. I like I wrote everything on a piece of paper and I was thinking this, this, this and and all of it. And I, I was so confused. I actually just ended up calling this person and said, Dada, please help. I, I really don't know what to do and how to decide. And I thought this was one of the best advice which I got. I still remember that. What he told me was this, that you know what, Manish, all of us are products and we are trying to sell ourselves in the market and we are trying to build ourselves in the market so that we can sell ourselves better. Mm-hmm. So one thing which you can, which might help you decide is think about yourself as the recruiter after five years and you are about to recruit an individual and you get a CV of a mm-hmm. Manish Bajoria who has worked for 12 years, two years in Tata Steel, 12 years, eight years in HUL and four years at Amazon. Mm-hmm. Or you have got a CV of a Manish Bajuria who's worked for two years in HUL, in Tata Steel and 12 years in Amazon and HUL if you continue with that job. Mm-hmm. Or you got a CV of a Manish Bajuria who's worked for two years at Tata Steel and eight years at HUL and four years in the other opportunity. And, and if you were the recruiter, which CV would you like? Sure. And maybe that can help you decide that what you want to do i actually found simple advice i found it very useful to decide because it makes things a lot more clearer to me that uh, maybe maybe this kind of an experience is something i as a recruiter will love and that probably helped me decide no no absolutely great advice i mean in fact if if somebody is trying to enter the corporate world for them as well this can be a great advice because how a recruiter would evaluate their resume five years down the line um, like I have never thought in that way. I mean, whenever I have kind of decided about my jobs, right? I mean, whenever the opportunity came, I just picked it up based on my gut feeling, but great advice. So that's all what I had uh, Manish. but what I'm going to do is uh, I'm, we are going to finish with a rapid fire round, perhaps less than one minute. Uh, and I need one to two word answer, right? Whatever comes to your mind, right? Just okay. go with it. With the flow. I'll try. I'll try, but it sounds <laughs> difficult. You don't need to think too much. And it's really only five questions, right? Make it as fun as you can. So for number one, what's your passion? Uh, kids. I, I, I really spend a lot of time with kids. And like I'm the 
I'm the joker at house, so I, I call all my kids friend, and I spend a lot of time with them. So that's something which I, I really love, and I can spend like hours and hours, days with the kids, not doing anything else. Fantastic! What's your favorite gadget? Ah, uh, currently probably my Apple iWatch. Uh, that that has I, I've started running, so it has worked me for me. So that's something which I've been fascinated to. Beach or mountain? Mountains. Bike or car? Bike. Movies or books? books fantastic that's all what i had manish it was such a privilege such a privilege talking to you yeah i mean you really gave good insights fantastic insights i'm sure all the audience are going to love what you said and there was a lot of key takeaways uh, i mean based on the discussion we had i mean not only from the industry perspective the way you think about your career how you can make changes in, in terms of talent management in terms of what's going on in india uh, in terms of market amazing uh, conversation i could not have asked for a better start to my podcast series so thank you so much again for your time really appreciate your time and thanks for kind of indulging with me i, I know i've been asking too many things to you but <laughs> you have been supporting and helping with everything so thank you so Th much thanks deepak i i do hope it is worth the time for people to listen to and if anybody can make any um, takes any insight from it and it helps them i would be more than happy and um, if there's anything I, i'll i'll probably share my email address uh, in the comments so or you can put there if somebody wants to reach out basically certain specific thing they want to know i'm more than happy to help them i'm privileged that you you found it useful and you gave me the opportunity to start your podcast so i hope it does very very well best wishes to you and your team thank you so much thank you thank you